We have been redeemed by the work of Jesus Christ. The Savior who died on the cross has been proved to be victorious through his resurrection from the dead. And so for this spring, we turn to the book of Acts, the the story of the church following the, the resurrection of Jesus, because their world has been turned upside down, their expectations shifted. The apostles have met the risen Christ, but now they've been given a new mission. And so turn with me to Acts chapter 1. We'll spend this spring looking at these opening chapters and the work of the church and what the mission of the church means for us. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up at the sky as he was going. When suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord for us, his church. Let's pray that God would apply it into our hearts and our lives. Father in heaven, we give you praise for your glorious grace. You are the King, the Savior, our Redeemer. And so, Lord, I pray for those that are in in great suffering today, those that are sick or who, who have lost loved ones, Lord, that you would provide your peace, a peace which passes our human understanding. Lord, not that you would remove merely the circumstances that bring us fear, for, Lord, we know in the best of circumstances, our hearts are prone to wander, and so we need your presence. We need your promises. Lord, for those that that feel joy and excitement at the uh, the possibilities that are before them, Lord, I pray that you would give them gospel hope, that you would open doors for the gospel. Lord, we pray for those who make decisions about the safety of our neighbors, for for our local governing officials, for the the governors here in in our state and the surrounding states. Lord, we pray that that you would use the, the government to bring protection to the most vulnerable. Lord, I pray that you would use us as a church to bring true, lasting gospel hope. So, Father in heaven, we come to you today asking for you to work in us. We come because Jesus is our Savior who's been raised from the dead. And so we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When you pick up a novel or start a movie, you expect that the story is going somewhere. Now, sure, there are some avant-garde approaches that try and skip plot altogether, but, but usually at the beginning of a book, at the beginning of a movie, you know that something important will take place. 
There will be progress as the story moves forward. But in real life, you never really know where the story is going. You don't even know where you are in the midst of the story. Are you at the beginning of the story? Are you at the middle? Are you near the end? The apostles, the chosen followers of Jesus, they know that radical change has happened. They'd been with Jesus for three years and then mourned at his death. And then miraculously, supernaturally, powerfully, Jesus was raised from the dead. And so everything for them has changed. But as they consider where they are in this story, they think they're at the end. This is the moment that all of history has been building toward. God made the heavens and the earth, but in man's rebellion, God still showed his love by sending his son, our Savior, the Messiah, the King. And the King has died and been raised from the dead, and so the kingdom is here. And so the disciples think they're at the end of the story, at a time of great celebration and rejoicing, and yet Jesus has turned their world upside down. And so as we come to these beginning chapters in the book of Acts, We see the comfort, the hope of the gospel in the midst of difficulties. We see the mission and purpose of the church. Not merely the church thousands of years ago, but the mission of the church, our church today. And so as we look here at Acts chapter 1, we see with clarity the work of Jesus Christ and the mission of the church. First, look look at how Luke begins this account. He says, in my former book, now that's a reference to the Gospel of Luke. It's a two-volume work, largely because scrolls could only be stretched to a certain length and make them manageable and usable. And so he's had to create a second volume. But, But look back at Acts 1, verse 1. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, that's the man to whom he's writing to convince him of the truth of who Jesus is. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. And so by implication, what he's saying is what, the, what is coming now is what Jesus continued to do and teach. And yet, despite the fact that the book of Acts is 28 chapters long, Jesus is only here, physically present in it for 11 verses. Not even one whole chapter. And yet Luke is setting before us, but this is the work of Jesus. This is the ministry of Jesus. Jesus continuing to work through his church. He describes the suffering of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. Look at verses 2 and 3. He's given instruction to the apostles. And then after his sufferings, verse 3, Jesus showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. The story continues so that Jesus is physically taken up into heaven. You see, the point that Luke, a historian, is making is that Christianity is a historical faith. It's not based on mere principles for living. It's not based on a mere ethical system. It's based on the historic reality that Jesus, the Son of God, arrived here on earth that Jesus, God's own son, lived a life of perfect obedience to God, that he suffered and died on the cross to pay the penalties for our sins, that he has been raised from the dead, that that resurrection has been proven by the appearance of Jesus to his apostles over the course of these 40 days, and that now Jesus is the king who has, been, who has returned to heaven. You see, Christianity is based on historical fact, that which really happened. It's not a fable or a fairy tale. It's the story of God at work in our world. And so this gives us hope and confidence. 
And, and, and Jesus, we're, we're told, he spent with them 40 days. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days. Six weeks he spends teaching them the ministry of the gospel. Now, perhaps during the time in which you have, have been required to, to stay at home, you've seen advertisements for, for free courses being offered through universities, through seminaries, through, through different, different organizations that want you, perhaps maybe when this is all done, to subscribe, to pay, to enroll. But, but they're offering lots of great content. Now, maybe like me, you, you wish there, there was some way that you could get, get all of it, but you feel maybe even overwhelmed, even at the, the thought of starting anything new. But, but think about this course. 40 days with the risen Jesus Christ. I mean, I, I wish we had that. I wish we had video reports that, 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 I, could, that I could sit in and listen to that teaching. And, and part of me longs to, and, and thinks, why, why, why are we missing that? You know, we get a little bit of a glimpse of it at the end of, at, at the end of Luke's uh, gospel as, as the disciples are on the, the road to Emmaus. We get a little bit of it here in the beginning of, of the book of Acts, but, but we long for so much more. John tells us in his gospel of, of Jesus gathering with his disciples, eating together and teaching. And, and yet that longing for more, it, it, it betrays something not in God's word, not a weakness in God's word, a weakness in me. Now, maybe there is a positive longing, but, but negatively it's that, that I just want more. More that would be enough to convince me. It's the idea that, that if I could have that, well, then I would believe. And maybe that's where you stand today. As someone who doubts the reality of, of what's been read to us, do you doubt the historical reality of Jesus? And you think, well, well I would believe if, if God had made himself more clear. Well, I would believe if, if I could get answers to these specific questions. Maybe the questions have multiplied for you in recent days. I would believe if there, weren't, if there weren't competing claims to the truth, if there weren't so many religious and spiritual claims out there, then, then I would believe. But see, what, what that lack of faith betrays is the idea that you are the one who gets to set the standards. That you and I are the ones that in a morally perfect position where we can demand of God, I will only believe you if you give me this. And yet the scriptures are sufficient for us. The reason that Luke doesn't spend his time giving us a detailed account of what Jesus taught over those 40 days is that he gives us here in 11 verses everything we need. The assurance that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, the eyewitnesses to prove this to us, and then the mission of the church given to us. We have everything we need to believe. To continue in our unbelief as a result of our sin, our rebellion. And see, when we say, I would believe if only, see, the problem is usually we add another if only. If only I get this, and then we're given that. And then we add a, another if only, because, because for many of us, it's a resistance rooted in, in sinfulness. And so what the scriptures call you to do is to put your trust in Jesus, to believe what is announced to you as historical fact, as gospel reality, as truth for your life. See, Luke is telling us that Jesus is continuing to work in his church. We have the convincing proofs shown to us in his word that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And then look at verse 4 with me to see the command that Jesus gives to his disciples. He tells them, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift. Now we know what will come, and we'll see this in coming weeks. It's the gift that God is giving of the Holy Spirit. But, but notice, notice the rich theology here in verses 4 and 5. 
Jesus is saying, wait for the gift my Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Do you see the rich Trinitarian theology? The idea that God is a triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. That this start of the church is, 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 not, a, is not a makeshift plan. That this was the very purpose of God. The Father in heaven has made this plan spoken by Jesus, and Jesus now pours out his Spirit on the church. And so we usually call this book in the Bible the Acts of the Apostles. And yet, John Stott, a, a, a commentator in, in, in previous years, he said, maybe we should call it the continuing words and deeds of Jesus by his Holy Spirit through the apostles. Or, or another commentator actually presses it further and says, well, we need a full Trinitarian theology, that this is the plan of God brought about by the words and deeds of Jesus through his Holy Spirit, empowering the apostles to make the gospel known. Now, that's a long title to give, and so maybe we can just stick with Acts. But we need to remember that this is not merely the acts of men. These are not merely the actions of this ragtag group of, of former fishermen from Galilee sent into the world. This is the mission of God himself. This is the work of Jesus Christ by the plan of the Father and the power of the Spirit. This is the work of Jesus, our Savior. And so Jesus is the one who is then, in verse 9, taken up before their very eyes. He ascends into heaven. We call it the ascension. It's a day on the church calendar that perhaps maybe is not as familiar to us as some of the other holidays, Christmas or Easter, but it's essential to show that Jesus is the reigning king, that he is the one taken up to heaven, taken beyond their sight because he now reigns in the spiritual realm with authority over heaven and earth. We heard in our call to worship that God, in, God is so great that he looks down on the heavens and the earth. He is beyond all, all power and authority, and Jesus is given supreme authority here in his exaltation, in his ascension into heaven. But, but there's also the promise then from the angels who are standing there that, that this, this Jesus who has been taken from them will return to them in the same way. It's speaking of the return of Christ, the second coming of Christ, his first coming at Christmas in Bethlehem, his second coming at the end of the story. When he comes and restores his kingdom in its full power, the second advent of Jesus in his return as king, full of authority and power. And so, so in some sense, the, one commentator says, Luke's view of, of the end of time is really simple. Jesus is coming again. Jesus is the king who reigns now and forevermore. See, in the present reign of Jesus as king, the ascension of Jesus up into heaven provides us then with comfort. Comfort because Jesus is still on his throne. He is, set, he is seated at the right hand of God because he has done the work of redemption. The price has been paid once for all, his blood shed, but he is the continuing reigning king with all power and authority. This is the comfort that, John, or that, that Luke brings to us here in Acts, that the apostles are preaching and announcing that Jesus is the king who reigns. It's also a comfort to us because Jesus in heaven has now poured out his spirit on us. See, if Jesus had stayed here on earth, then the only way to hear his teaching would have been to get there to see him in person, to be physically in his presence. But, but because of the outpouring of God's spirit, this promise which God had made back in the Old Testament, that in the fullness of time, his spirit, his 
his, the person of the Holy Spirit would be given to each believer, given to us as a church. And so we have comfort. See, in the end of the story matters to us. Because we feel in a world turned upside down, like we don't know where we are. And I, and I can't make predictions. Every prediction that I would have made two weeks ago would make me sound foolish today. Things that I said six weeks ago would make me sound like an arrogant jerk. Well, you might say, well, things you said six minutes ago, Kevin, probably have made you sound like an arrogant jerk. But see, every prediction I've made about where are we, even in the midst of this timeline of, a, of the current global pandemic, I have no idea. But I do have a truth to which you and I can hold on to. Jesus reigns as the king, and he is coming again. See, this is hope for us right now. The world is not out of, out of God's control. Jesus reigns as the king, and he is coming again. This pandemic will not have the final word. It might be the last thing that's written on your death certificate, but it will not have the final word if you have put your hope in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ the Redeemer, the Savior, the King, the one who has been raised from the dead. And so we see here in the opening of, of Acts the authority of Jesus, the lordship of Jesus, the kingdom of Jesus. And yet, the apostles misunderstand it, don't they? Because we see the work of Jesus, but we also see the mission of the church. Jesus, in, in verse 7, in, in, or in verse 4, gave them the command to wait. Wait here. Don't, don't go anywhere yet. Wait here until the Spirit is given to you. And we'll see that come in the next chapter. But the disciples, in eager anticipation of what he's teaching them about his kingdom, again, they're thinking perhaps of a physical kingdom, a political kingdom, a military kingdom. Yes, it surely has religious overtones because Jesus is the Messiah, but they're not thinking merely in spiritual terms. They're thinking in pragmatic, practical, right here, right now, what does the kingdom of Jesus look like? And so they ask him in verse 6, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, admittedly, throughout the Gospels, and even in the book of Acts, we will see the disciples ask bad questions, but I don't think this is one of those. Because they have waited, they have, they have read the scriptures, they see that the Messiah is here, and so they don't realize they're, they're right in the middle of the story. They think they're at the end. The king has come. Is this the moment right now when the kingdom will be restored? And Jesus is telling them that, yes, his kingdom has been restored. But he's the king who will reign in heaven so that the spiritual kingdom of his church can spread throughout the earth. The people will hear the gospel message. And so he gives them... a. Uh, correction in verse 7. He says, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Don't worry about when. Worry about who has the authority. See, so many times in our lives, it, it, it's appropriate to ask when. You need to know what time do I need to, to show up for this event, or you used to need to know what time you needed to show up for events. Right now, everything just blends together at home. But, but, but it's often appropriate to ask, when will this happen? And, and maybe that's a question we're all asking now. When will this end? When, when will this take place? But, but you see in Scripture, we often don't get an answer to the question of when. We get an answer to an even more important question, who? Who is in control? Who has the authority? And so Jesus explicitly tells them in verse 7, it's not for you to know the times or days. Don't worry about when. Worry about who has the authority. 
And actually, there's no worry there. It's a confidence that God himself, the Father in heaven, has all authority right now. And so he then gives them here in verse 8 this pivotal verse which sets the stage for all that will come in the book of Acts. Verse 8, giving us both a, a sort of a geographic table of contents, but also in clarity the mission of the church. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's a, a geographic pattern that we'll see in these opening chapters. We'll stay close to, to Jerusalem, in Judea, close to Jerusalem. But then the, the church will be scattered and take the gospel into Judea and Samaria. And then by the end of the book of Acts, the gospel will be taken to all of the known world. And the work of the gospel spreading throughout the kingdom of Jesus, because God's kingdom doesn't have a geopolitical boundary. His kingdom knows no boundaries. His kingdom knows no end. And so when the disciples ask, what's the end of the story? When will this end? Jesus answers them with, with, a, with a geographic destination. Take it to the ends of the earth. They want to know when the end of time will be. And he says, right now is the time to take the gospel. And, and notice the empowering work of Jesus. Again, we, we've said that this is the continuing story of all that Jesus is doing and teaching. He tells them that the plan of the Father, the authority of the Father, is now being given to them. They will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. God himself indwelling his his disciples, so that they are empowered to take the gospel. Elsewhere in the New Testament, this, this language of power is described to us as the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power now given to you as a believer in Jesus Christ to take the gospel message. And so this is the mission of the church. This is the story of the book of Acts, that the disciples are witnesses taking the gospel to the very ends of the earth. And so, having seen Jesus, lifted before their very eyes, taken up into heaven, the disciples are standing in verse 10, staring into the sky. They are looking intently. They're gazing because they have just witnessed a climactic moment in history. Jesus, the King of heaven, has been raised up off of the physical earth to, to ascend into the heavens to reign as the King. And so they're standing there and staring when, when we're told in verse 10 that suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Now, I, I, don't, I don't think it's so much a matter of the color of their clothing as the glorious radiance of their presence, for these are angelic messengers sent from heaven to give the disciples, the apostles, the followers of Jesus clarity in their mission. And so they ask a, a question. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky. Now, at one level, the disciples can say, because we just saw Jesus, the king of the universe, ascend to sit down on his throne. We were at the coronation of the king of heaven. Of course, we're standing in awe. And yet there's, there's in these words from the, the angels a mild rebuke. It's not a strong rebuke because, yes, something radical has just taken place. But it's a reminder to them that now is not the time to stand staring into heaven. Now is the time to get on with the mission of the church. And perhaps many of us feel caught in this kind of moment, just standing and staring, not knowing what to do, wondering when will things change. And maybe what we need here in the book of Acts is, is that shove forward, that, that momentum to, to move forward into the mission of Jesus the King. And I don't want to add burdens to you because I know many of you are, 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 are overburdened. 
Your job has become twice as hard or the search for a new job is, is, is extremely difficult. Many of you have added on extra responsibilities of, of parenting children, caring for them full-time, of, of the difficulties of navigating even something that used to be so simple like running out to grab something from the grocery store. Now takes hours or days of planning to keep you and your neighbors safe. And so I don't want, don't want to overburden you, but I, but I want to push you forward. I want the question of the angels, why are you standing here? The same Jesus who was just taken up into heaven is coming back. He is coming again. Church, you have a mission. And so maybe it's something simple, like picking up the phone. I heard a a news statistic this week that the the average daily number of phone calls, like actually using your phone to talk to somebody, using it as a phone, is double what it was, the, the average daily number of phone calls is double what it was last Mother's Day. And Mother's Day is the day on which people actually use their phones as phones because mom at least deserves to hear your voice. Now the daily average is twice what our peak was previously. And so maybe it's something as simple as picking up a phone, calling a friend, a neighbor, a colleague, somebody that you haven't seen, and just saying, how are you doing? And just listen. And then when the door is opened, when they reciprocate and say, how are you doing? Then yes, you can explain the weight that you feel, the burden that you feel, but then you can point them to gospel hope. I feel like my world is out of control, but there's one thing I cling to. Jesus is the king, and I know he's coming again. Maybe it's something as simple as that. Maybe it's more involved inviting somebody to to connect in your community group to come and, and join you when your group connects visually online, to say, say why, don't you, why don't you jump in and, and participate with us? Let us pray for you and with you. Maybe it's simply a, a, a clicking the share button when this video is, is posted finally and, and share it with somebody or, or, or pull out a clip from it and say, hey, I think, I think maybe this would be an encouragement to you or a challenge to you. Is there a time that I can call and follow up and talk? Or maybe if it's a neighbor that you connect with who who doesn't have access to us online, to just remind them that they can still tune in on their radio to WDEL at 9.30 on Sunday mornings. Just turn their dial to 101.7 and hear gospel hope from the Word of God. So you and I still have open doors for the gospel to be made known. Now, some of you are actually sitting and thinking, well, I want to do more than, than just a phone call. And maybe some of you have the energy, the excitement. Maybe you have the, the space in your schedule to do something more, to be more creative. Maybe it's time for you to say, you know what? I'm going to host a Bible study. I'm going to call my neighbors, the ones that I, I've hesitated, and just say, hey, could, could you and I connect? Maybe it's calling them and saying, would you read through a book with me? Taking a book like Tim Keller's The Reason for God and saying, would you read a chapter this week and, and, and talk through it with me? Maybe it's looking for a way to sit and, and maybe even asking a deacon or deaconess for help and saying, hey, I, I think people are grieving. Could, is there something we could do? Could we host an online grief share? See, see I, 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 don't, I don't think that this is a burden that, that should merely be placed on the leaders of the church. The, the, the church. And, and maybe we've seen this with greater clarity right now because we've been forced to decentralize, that you are, you, we're not able to physically gather. The, the, the burden of the mission of the church is not merely placed on the apostles. It's placed on every believer. And so think creatively. Maybe you're, you can do something practical. Maybe you can sew masks or, 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 or gather other believers to do that or gather your neighbors. Maybe you can call a neighbor or leave a note on a door and say, how can I help? How can I provide a meal? How can I run and get groceries for you? 
Maybe it's thinking more creatively of, of I'm somebody with a, with a skill set. I could help those that are looking for jobs. I could do some online training for somebody here in the church. Maybe there are ways that you can creatively get involved in sharing the mission of the church. Maybe this moment is a moment for the gospel to be heard loudly and clearly. See, we should do so with joy and excitement. Yes, there's a mild rebuke in the words, in the words of these angels. Why are you staring into the sky? And maybe some of us need that rebuke today to move forward, but there's also great gospel hope and confidence. Jesus, who, who's been taken to heaven to reign as the king, he's coming again. See, the story in the book of Acts reminds us that Jesus is the one who lived the perfect life of obedience, died in the place of sinners, has been raised from the dead, and now reigns as the king in heaven. And this same Jesus has given us as a church his mission. He's empowered us by his spirit according to the plan of God so that others would hear the message of Jesus Christ and put their faith in him. And maybe that's the call on you today. Will you put your trust in Jesus? Now, I remember decades ago an opportunity to go see a living nativity in New Jersey where I grew up. My family gathered, extended family, to go to this, and, and it was extravagant. It was, it was scene after scene with actors in costume. And in, in the final scene, it told not, not just the, the story of, of, Jesus's, uh, of Jesus's birth, a nativity, but it was a living nativity that, that in glimpses told the scene of Jesus's entire life. Narrators explained the purpose and, and work of Jesus's death on the cross. And then the final scene was Jesus standing with his disciples. It was the scene we've just read here in, in Acts chapter 1, the scene that comes at the end also of Luke's gospel, because he, he wants to make sure that you see how these two volumes fit together. It's the story of Jesus' ascension. And, and they actually had, had, had built a physical contraption that, that the actor playing Jesus rose visibly before your eyes up the side of the building into this awning that was painted to look like clouds, and he disappeared into the clouds. Then you're invited to come inside at, at the Christmas season and, and, and get some hot chocolate, have your questions answered, have somebody pray with you. But as we were walking away, see, they have to reset the scene for the next group. And my niece, who was just a, a little child, you've maybe even heard me tell this story before. My niece, who was just a little child, as we're walking away, she's looking back in awe. And she looks back and she says, he's coming back. But that's exactly the theological truth you are meant to walk away with. When Jesus goes up into heaven, we are meant to hear the words of the angels that the same Jesus, this Jesus will come back in the same way. Jesus is the king right now, and Jesus is coming back. Church, this is the momentum that pushes us forward in gospel hope, in gospel confidence, that the, the, the good news is our good news, that Jesus is the king in heaven, that Jesus is our savior. This is the momentum to push us forward in gospel obedience to tell others that Jesus is the king. And when we look at his ascension into heaven, we have the truth. He's coming back. Will you share in his mission, Jesus your king reigns in heaven. Jesus is coming back. Let me pray that God would apply his word into our hearts. Father, many of us feel the weight of rebuke in the angel's words. We feel burdened by our, our circumstances. And so, Lord, I pray that we in your word would hear gospel, hope, and confidence. Father, I pray that we would have the joy of, of the knowing that we have been forgiven our sins. 
Father, for those of us that feel the momentum, the excitement of your word, the empowering of your spirit, the promises of scripture that Jesus is coming again, Lord, make us bold this week, maybe bolder than we've ever been before. In the face of fear and death, let us announce gospel hope. Let the message that lingers in people's minds as they fall asleep not be wary about what is coming, but the, the promise of Jesus as Savior. And so, Lord, make us your church, your missionaries, your witnesses. Father, we thank you for the grace of Jesus, our Savior, the glory of the gospel announced to us. And so, Father, we come today praying because Jesus is our Savior and Redeemer, the one who died to pay the penalty for our sins. We come praying because Jesus is our Rescuer, our, our King, the one who brings his kingdom and all power and authority. We come because Jesus is the one who has promised that he is coming again. And so, Father in heaven, we come praying in the name of Jesus the Christ, Jesus our Messiah, Jesus the King. Amen.